3: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Lessons from the world's top professors. Anytime, any place. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. This is Half Hour History, Secrets of the Medieval World. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. I'm not a professor, but I do sound like one. And I'm here to bring you into the world of Half Hour History, where we'll dive into an academic topic that I, personally, think you're going to love. And you don't even have to show up for class. These series come right to you, to listen to while you're walking, driving, gardening, cooking practicing falconry like me. I don't do that, but it's cool if you do. In this 12-part series, we're going to dig into the medieval times. No, not the restaurant with jousting tournaments, actors delivering lines and questionable English accents, and crowds gobbling giant turkey legs. The real thing. From the fall of Rome to the beginning of the Renaissance, we're taking a trip back in time to that era of chivalry, warring popes, and the construction of Notre Dame. Dr. Christopher Bolito is going to lead you on this journey. He's an author and professor who teaches ancient and medieval history at Kane University, my alma mater. That's actually true. In this first episode, Chris will explain the times in medieval times and what it was like to live in the dark ages. So light a candle and Chris will take it from here.
2: What we're going to try to do is give a picture about a thousand years of history that's full of cartoon characters, full of conventional wisdom, that often is very wrong. And so what we're going to try to do to begin is simply ask ourselves, when were the Middle Ages? Where are they in history? Is that the same thing as the Dark Ages? And the Dark Ages, if the Dark Ages were so bad, how did we end up with Gothic cathedrals, with universities, with Francis, with Claire, with uh, Bernard of Clairvaux? How did we have this flowering of knights and chivalry? How did that happen if things were so bad? Well, what we're gonna find is that medieval Europe was kind of the first original multicultural civilization. And we're gonna take about a 1,000 years From roughly the fall of Rome, about 500 AD or CE, and I'll talk about those distinctions in a minute, to about 1500. So, from the fall of Rome to roughly Columbus, who sails the ocean blue in 1492, or Martin Luther, who posts the 95 Theses in 1517. And one thing that I want to be clear about is that we will have names and dates and places. But I'm far more interested not in names and dates and places, but in movements, in ideas. Can we get a sense of what it is that the Middle Ages was about? What was it like to live in that period? What did these people care about? What were they willing to live and What were they willing to die for? And that tells us about their values. So we're going to begin by looking at what happened after Rome fell, and I believe it really transformed, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in topic two. Then we're going to look at a recovering period during what's called the Carolingian Renaissance, around 800 under Charlemagne. Then things are going to slow down a little bit more, and then there's going to be this explosion of activity um, around 1050 or 1100, where universities come together, guilds come together. There's a spiritual reawakening called the 12th century Renaissance, where popes and emperors and kings are fighting for ultimate authority. And everything goes really well until about 1300. In 1300, the bottom falls out. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It's like the 1930s Great Depression running for about 200 years. The papacy is in Avignon. There are three popes. There's the Black Death. The superpowers of England and France are fighting a war called the Hundred Years' War. It's just awful. So that's the big kind of canvas. So ask yourself, when I think of the Middle Ages, when I think of medieval Europe, what verbs come to mind? What nouns come to mind? What images come to mind? And one of the first things people ask is, well, isn't this phrase going medieval, which has shown up in, um, on uh, YouTube videos and it's shown up on uh, T-shirts and movies, going medieval, it has this image of this repressive, monolithic, homogeneous population, a population of superstition and religious fanaticism that was against science and rationality. And of course, these are all caricatures, and that's not what this course is about. We do find within that 1,000-year period, as I've already mentioned, some periods that were better and some periods that were worse. Highs and lows, ebbs and flows. Well, we find that in our own lives. We find that in American history. We shouldn't be surprised at that. And yet, we also have this very, at the same time that we have this notion that going medieval is bad, we have this very romantic notion of the Middle Ages. Most of us have been to Gothic cathedrals in Europe or Neo-Gothic cathedrals in our own communities, and these are churches that were built Usually after 1850, in the United States, there was a neo-medievalist movement from 1850 to about 1920 where people became fascinated with the Middle Ages. And it's because people were traveling to Europe and they were seeing the Church of Notre Dame and and gargoyles. And they wanted to bring that back to the United States um, and replicate it. We should also note that yes, we are talking about Western Europe, which was dominated by Western Latin Christianity. But we're going to take detours to the East. We're going to be going very shortly to Byzantium in the East, to Constantinople, or modern-day Istanbul. And we must remember that Christianity and Islam were in contact with each other, and yes, often conflict with each other, from very, very early in the Middle Ages, from just about the time that Muhammad dies in 632, the very beginning of our period. So I want us to look at this medieval period as both Christian and Muslim, and Jewish as well, and we're going to see where Judaism comes into play. My goal for you is that after we've done these 12 topics, when somebody says Middle Ages or Medieval Europe, you're going to be able to Put that in a place in your head. I know somebody who always asks the question, something is on the History Channel or you see a piece of art, and she always asks, it happens to be my wife, she always says, is this before or after Columbus? And whatever that answer is enables her to put that material in a certain place in her head and on a map. So I want you to be able to understand the major periods, the major people, the ideas and the events of the Middle Ages. Not history as one damn thing after another, this happened and this happened and this happened, though I do want you to have a sense of the early, the high and the late medieval period but more a sense, again, medieval imagination, or medieval culture, or medieval civilizations. I want you to understand fundamental vocabulary, fundamental chronology, and fundamental geography. And I want you to have a broader perspective. Yes, as I've said, the Middle Ages, we're going to see through the eyes of medieval Christianity. But history that is just top-down, that's important men and women, doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for you. A big change in the way that Americans see history occurred in 1990 when PBS aired The Civil War by Ken Burns. And The Civil War by Ken Burns was a documentary that looked at the Civil War. Yes, Grant, Lee, Lincoln, Jefferson Davis, but also you and me, the everyday soldier, the letters he wrote to his wife, the letters that the wife wrote back trying to locate her husband's body, perhaps, um, if he was killed in battle. So we're going to try to marry top-down and bottom-up History, And so that means we're going to have Muslim voices, Jewish voices, Byzantine voices, dissenting voices, people who weren't buying into the medieval dominant Christianity. And these folks um, are known as heretics, and we'll talk about them later. And when you take all of them and lay them on the table, you see immediately that the Middle Ages was not homogeneous, but heterogeneous that it was, as I said before, multicultural. And in its own way, even though it's only uh, talking about the, medieval, uh, the Mediterranean basin and medieval Europe, North Africa, and um, the area of the Holy Land, it is global in their context. And so what's the influence that medieval Europe had and continues to have on society? We'll see that as we move along. And I'd also like to provide a roadmap for future study. Let's talk about chronology for a few minutes. Now, I mentioned earlier the phrase B.C. and A.D. Now, A.D. is a Christian way of telling time. It stands for the Latin phrase Anno Domini, or the year of our Lord. And that dating wasn't put into place until about 500 years um, after Jesus by a man named Dionysius Exiguus, an odd name, Dennis the Slight or Dennis the Short, who decided to take all of the calendars of the ancient world and and make one that made sense for Christians. And so he started with the birth of Jesus. There actually is no year zero, and Dionysius Exiguus was counting a little bit off. So Jesus was actually born 6 or 5 or 4 B.C., which sounds strange to our ears because B.C. stands for before Christ, doesn't it? But it was a mistake. So B.C. A.D. Now, that's a very Christian way of counting. And so some folks have substituted C.E., common era, for A.D., and B.C.E., before the common era, for B.C. Now, generally, I use B.C. and A.D., and I mean nothing by it, except that it's the way that I was trained and it's in my DNA. So I'll try to use one or the other, kind of like saying his or hers. Now right away when we talk about chronology, we have to talk about this phrase, the Dark Ages. Where does that phrase come from? Well, it actually comes from the end of the medieval period um, in the 14th century, and it comes out of the mouth of a famous Italian humanist by the name of Petrarch. He wasn't the first one to use this phrase Middle Ages, but he was kind of the most important person around, and people listened to him. And here's what's going on. Petrarch is living in the 1300s. He's gone to Avignon in southern France, where he sees a papacy that is full of greed and um, full of graft, and it's very depressing because the papacy is supposed to be in Rome. He calls it the Babylonian captivity of the church or the Babylonian captivity of the papacy. And it kind of gets him down. And he, he's a humanist. And humanists in the Renaissance were interested in looking back and recapturing Greco Roman learning and kind of transporting it to a future world where there would be another golden age, right? So if there's a golden age in the past and a golden age to come, we must be stuck in the middle. And in Italian, that means Medioevo, and in Latin, it's medium avum, and it becomes English as medieval, m-i-d-e-v-i-l, which is, I guess, kind of half bad and half good. But it gives you the sense that we're kind of stuck in the Middle Ages, right? Even when people talk about their lives, you know, they they talk about that that Middle Ages slump that you go through, you're 40 or you're 45, and you say, geez, is this it? So that's kind of what Petrarch is talking about. And then a little bit later, now Petrarch is kind of on the leading edge of the Italian Renaissance. We're going to be talking about the 12th century Renaissance in topic um, eight, and a Carolingian Renaissance soon enough, in the year 800, there are many renaissances in history, but the renaissance that everybody talks about, Italians running around in tights, Michelangelo da Vinci, which is 1400, 1500, 1600, those folks were recovering Greco-Roman learning and what they wanted to do is say, what we're doing is enlightened and it's new and it's better and if you wanna do that, what are you gonna do? You're gonna trash the centuries that came before you. So 1300 to 1500, not a great period of time, but it's only 200 years of the thousand-year period that we call the Middle Ages, and so that kind of depressed period tainted the entire medieval period, and that's where the phrase the Dark Ages comes from.
1: After the break, we go to Rome. Plus, you've heard of Henry VIII, but who's Henry the Navigator?
3: black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence radios were smashed, cassettes burned, you could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules, and yet Afghans did it anyway This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol the danger they endured
2: They said my head should be cut off
3: The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Let's look a little bit more closely. Let's break down the early, the high, and the late medieval period. So the early medieval period is from about the fall of Rome in the year 476. Yes, that period is dimmer than the Roman Empire, but it wasn't without its bright lights. Right in the middle of that period, from about 476 to 1050, is bang, 800 the Carolingian Renaissance. So while Western Latin Christianity is a bit in the doldrums, Islam is exploding in this culture. Then the high medieval period, roughly 1050 to 1300. And this is the flowering. When people go to Um, uh, uh, communities uh, in um, Europe, uh, a city like Prague, which is a medieval jewel, a city like Siena, which is a medieval jewel, what they're thinking of when they think of the Middle Ages is is that period. They're thinking of Gothic and neo-Gothic communities. Um, They're thinking of cathedrals. They're thinking of Notre Dame. And they're thinking of chivalry and knighthood and the romance of Arthurian legends. That's what people have in mind. And then the collapse, as I said before, of the late medieval period, roughly 1300 to 1500, about 200 years, about as long as the United States has been around since 1776. And that's the period of the Avignon Papacy, the great Western schism the Hundred Years' War, and during the Hundred Years' War, from about 1350 to 1450, smack dab in the middle of it, is about a 30-year civil war in France. Can you imagine the American Civil War being fought not for four years, but for 30 years in the midst of World War II, which was fought not for about 10 years, but for about 100 years? It's an absolute mess. Economic troubles, peasant revolts, and, of course, the Black Death. Let's talk about where we are on the map. And to do that, to talk about medieval Europe, we need to talk about the Roman Empire. So now, if I took a map of the Roman Empire and I laid it down and I wanted to say, how big was the Roman Empire? Well, if I took a map of the continental United States and laid it on top of the Roman Empire, they'd be roughly the same size. So if you can imagine a map of the United States without the Mediterranean in it, we've got the Mississippi, we've got Salt Lake, but we have nothing like the Mediterranean, pretty much the shape and size of the continental United States, which is roughly a rectangle, is the shape and size of the Roman Empire. And so, Rome never got to certain areas that in fact experienced a very vibrant Middle Ages. Rome never got to Ireland. Rome never got to Scandinavia. So very roughly this would be North America, would be Canada. Rome never got quite that far. And Rome never got south of the Sahara, so not into Mexico or Latin America or South America. Now, Islam is a very important player almost immediately um, at the beginning of the Middle Ages. Islam is going to take control of what we call the modern Middle East and North Africa, north of the um, Sahara, after about 650. And so if you look again at the Roman Empire, maybe have that map of the United States um, in mind, what's happening is that Muhammad is born about 570, we're not quite sure, Um, And he dies in the year 632. And from 632 to 732, Islam takes control of the modern Middle East. Okay, so Syria, Lebanon, Israel, West Bank, the Gaza Strip, um, all of that area there. Saudi Arabia goes as far as Constantinople, but can't beat Constantinople, so comes back down and takes all out North Africa. Now, North Africa was the Bible Belt of early Christianity, um, and right there was Alexandria, one of the richest uh, uh, scholarly areas in time, and then uh, it goes all the way up to, to what we today call Morocco, jumps the Straits of Gibraltar, gets into the Iberian Peninsula. That's that box, if you will. That's modern-day um, Portugal and Spain, jumps the Pyrenees, goes pretty far into Gaul or modern-day France and gets pushed back. And then Islam controls most of Spain for about 300 years. And the Christians push Islam down from north to south in a movement called the Reconquest until 1085 Toledo Falls. And that's a really important moment because Toledo had been an important capital of Islamic Spain and then all the way down until 1492. So you can't talk about medieval Europe and not talk about um, Islam and particularly uh, Islamic Spain, because that's where there's a lot of interreligious dialogue, yes, but also a lot of interreligious conflict. And we'll see how Christians, Jews, and Muslims negotiated all of that. Because without that Muslim interaction, you never would have had Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, because Thomas Aquinas is reading ancient Greek and Roman texts, primarily Greek texts through Arabic translations, back into Latin because Islam never lost contact with that ancient Greek past, whereas Western Christianity and Western Europe did, in fact, lose contact with the Greek and became more Latin. But let's not think that medieval uh, Europe was entirely closed in on itself. In fact, there was quite a lot of contact between west and east, and the place that was kind of the hinge of all of that was Italy. So if you think of the Mediterranean, there's Italy, the boot, sticking out, basically dividing the Mediterranean from the western Mediterranean into the eastern Mediterranean. And Italy doesn't make its money um, making uh, grain and harvesting huge numbers of uh, vegetables and fruits. No, Italy makes its money trading. Italy makes its money on the water. Now the interesting thing is that the best seafarers in the Mediterranean, and the Mediterranean is a very dangerous place, lots of currents, there's lots of winds, it's very tight, are Muslims. So Italians and Muslims from the very beginning are in economic contact with each other, economic partnership with each other, to transport goods back and forth, basically on Muslim ships. And those Muslim ships had Muslim sea captains, but they were often backed by Italian money, and the people who were coming up with the money tended to be Jewish bankers. So you see a very nice mix of these three um, fates there. Also, in the West, Christians had been going off on pilgrimage to the East, to the Holy Land, very often, um, 600, 700, it tails off and then it really picks up again around 1011 and that's where the Crusades take place. And while we often look at the Crusades as this awful period of conflict, and we certainly will be looking at it um, in those terms, it was also a period of exploration and logistics because you had to move these armies from one place to to another, so navigation is getting better, and the um, west Western Christianity is is exploring its area, and of course, there's a big connection even further uh, in the High Medieval period. You have Marco Polo taking the Silk Road past the modern Middle East all the way, all the way into uh, China. And Marco Polo is um, living around 1250 to about 1325. So part of that real flowering. And so that makes this a fascinating period of cultural exchange, not just Latin West and Greek East, but Latin West, Greek East, and even further to the Far East, through the ancient Near East, and the Far East as well. And one of the really interesting people in this period, one of those people whose names you never heard of, but history would have been different without him, is a fellow named Henry the Navigator. He was a king of Portugal. And one of the interesting things about Henry is that even though he established the school for navigation, the West Point and Annapolis wrapped up into one for navigation, he never left Portugal. He allowed other people to leave Portugal. But what he did was he gathered together a school of navigation, that drew on Muslim science, Muslim math, Muslim astronomy to create new and better maps. And every single person who sailed from about 1400 to 1600, in that great age of discovery or exploration, had gone to Henry the Navigator's school or had somebody on his ship who had gone there. And it's because of that man that Henry the Navigator began to um, allow people to push off the coast of West Africa and then off into the the Atlantic and then off all the way to North America and then eventually, of course, Magellan is going to circumnavigate the world um, from the Atlantic to the Pacific and then all the way back again.
1: next week on secrets of the medieval world did rome really fall or did it just sort of implode half hour history secrets of the medieval world from one day university is a production of iHeart podcasts and school of humans if you're enjoying the show leave a review in your favorite podcast app And check out the Curiosity Audio Network for podcasts covering history, pop culture, true crime, and more.
0: School of Humans. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development,
1: Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day